You're listening to teaching from Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. confession to make. I am a geeky person. Now, if you know me, this is probably not a shock to you. I I am a through and through nerd. I love all things geeky. And if there's anything I know about geek culture is that we can get into some dumb arguments. Now, these arguments are heated. They're strongly opinioned, but they are dumb. My favorite dumb geek arguments are Star Wars versus Star Trek, Marvel versus DC, and Xbox versus PlayStation. You may, if you're on the outside of geek culture, think, oh, what's the big difference? Sci-fi is sci-fi, and superheroes are superheroes, and gaming systems are gaming systems. But if you are entrenched in geek culture, then you know that there are strong opinions about this. And I know exactly where I stand. I am very much a Star Wars Marvel Xbox guy. And, And there are some dumb arguments that I've gotten into with family and friends about these type of topics. But my dumb arguments didn't start with becoming an adult and developing opinions about sci-fi culture. Instead, I've been arguing about dumb things my entire life. I remember when I was a kid, my brother and I would get into heated, sometimes physical altercations over who's going to sit in the front seat. I really know how to find a dumb fight. We're in this series called Asking for a Friend, and we're going to start off today by trying to address how Christians should respond to scientific development and future technologies. But before we can really deal with what our response as people of faith should be to the scientific community and to future technological developments, we really have to start by addressing the elephant in the room. There is a tension between faith and science that exists today, and we need to know where does this come from? Well, If we trace it back, a lot of the tension started with Nicholas Copernicus. Copernicus was an early proponent of the sun being the center of our planetary system, not the earth. Before then, the dominant theory was that the earth was the center of the planetary system, that all of the other planets and celestial bodies rotated around the earth. And around 1508, Copernicus developed his own celestial model, which was a heliocentric, a sun-centered planetary system. In 1514, he released a 40-page document he titled Small Commentary, where he outlined seven principles of a heliocentric planetary system. In his second book, which is called On the Revolutions of Heavenly Spheres, which was released right before his death, he really dug even deeper into this idea that the sun was the center of our planetary system. This second book was banned by the Roman Catholic Church for decades, and his theories were rejected by the Protestant reformer Martin Luther. It was clear at this moment in history that there was a tension between the realms of science and the realms of faith. But this was just the beginning. For many, the tension between faith and science still exists today. So why is there this tension? Well, one of the things that we need to acknowledge is that sometimes Christians misinterpret the Bible. And I know for some of you, you may not want to admit that or own up to that, but we just have to acknowledge that sometimes, as people of faith, we misinterpret the Bible. 
What you are reading impacts the way you're reading it. You read a novel different than you read a cookbook. So when you read the Bible, you have to kind of know what you are reading. The Bible is a collection of literature. It's mostly narrative story, but it's also full of legal documentation, theological, tre theological treatises, wisdom literature, and poetry. And, and Copernicus, the debate with him centered around how you interpret Psalm 93.1. And this is what Psalm 93.1 says. The world is established, it shall never be moved. There's another verse that was also important, Psalm 104, verse 5. He, talking about God, he set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. And one of the things I think is really important for us to just acknowledge is that you can't get your understanding of how the mechanics of the universe work based on a few lines of theological Hebrew poetry. The Bible was never intended to be a scientific manual. Now, this does not mean that the Bible is full of inaccuracies. It just means that sometimes it's not concerned with answering the questions that we're trying to ask of it. So when we force the biblical text to do something that they were never designed to do, it can prevent us from understanding what the Bible is actually trying to communicate. And Copernicus, he didn't really see this as a conflict between science and faith or science in the Bible. Instead, this is what he said about it. There may be babblers, wholly ignorant of mathematics, who dared to condemn my hypothesis upon the authority of some part of the Bible, twisted to suit their purpose. I value them not and scorn their unfounded judgment. In other words, he thought that they were just simply misunderstanding or misusing the Bible. And one of the things that's important for us as we kind of dig into what it means that Christians, people of faith, have misunderstood the Bible, it's important to realize that many of these foundational scientists were people of faith, people like Copernicus, Galileo, Kepler, Newton. And unfortunately, these people of faith were often mistreated by other people claiming to be followers of Jesus. We don't have to agree with everything that's done under the umbrella of Christianity throughout history. Instead, we must humbly admit that people of faith have and will continue to get things wrong. Proverbs 16, 18 says this, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We need to make sure that we are being humble in the way we approach God, the way we approach the Bible, and the way we approach issues of the mechanics of the world. So sometimes Christians misinterpret the Bible. But there's another reason there's tension. Sometimes people misunderstand or misuse science. There's a quote from Albert Einstein. He wrote this in a letter to the Queen of Belgium, and it says this, As a human being, one has been endowed with just enough intelligence to be able to see clearly how utterly inadequate that intelligence is when confronted with what exists. See, we need to recognize, like many scientists do, that scientific exploration is complex and complicated, and science is continually changing and developing. Sir Isaac Newton established the rules that dominated scientific thinking since the late 17th century, but the science of quantum mechanics has shown that some aspects of Newtonian physics are fundamentally misguided. In other words, the dominant scientific thought 
for hundreds of years has been challenged by new scientific development. Observational cosmologist Alan Rex Sandage says this, it is my science that drove me to the conclusion that the world is much more complicated than can be explained by science. See, science has limitations. Here's an example of a limitation of science. Science is not set up to explain consciousness. When I say consciousness, I mean human experience. Galileo established mathematics as the language of science. And when we describe our experience with the world, we're not using math to describe the physical traits of the material objects that we interact with, but rather the way our brains perceive them. Consciousness is the way our brains translate the world around us. And we know a lot more about neuroscience and the human brain than they did during the time of Galileo. But we still don't understand it, how the complicated electrochemical signals that we experience in our brain give us sights, sounds, smells, and tastes. Science is really good at describing the way things interact in the material world, but it's not always so great at describing the intrinsic nature of things. When we consider the tension between science and faith, we need to remember this. Science explores the mechanical world. Faith explores meaning and purpose being lived out in that world. Science and technology shape our lives, but they do not change our meaning and purpose. So that leads us back to our original question. How should Christians respond to scientific development and future technologies? I know when we got this question that came in, a lot of the questions surrounded things like artificial intelligence and bioengineering and 5G technology and quantum computing. And I think really what we need to be asking ourselves is, how do you as a person typically respond to something new? Oftentimes when we're faced with something new, we either fear it or we put all of our hope in it. And some of us fear technology. For example, artificial intelligence. Now, I have to admit that the last TV and washing machine I purchased both claim to use artificial intelligence. They have AI technology built into them. And some of you may be asking, should I be worried that my appliances are going to become sentient and take over my household? Well, probably not. First, the AI in my TV is mostly just marketing nonsense. And second, the AI development has focused primarily on designing computers to use adaptive technologies to solve complex problems, assuming that more common everyday forms of human intelligence would work themselves out. But that just hasn't happened. We've taught computers to be great at beating master chess players, but they're incapable of adapting to the realities of everyday life that we take for granted because of our human intelligence. There's a lot of fiction that's created around the ideas of a robot uprising or a lab experiment gone wrong because we fear new technologies and scientific developments. We might fear other technological developments because they could replace us in the workforce or require us to learn something new. Some of us fear scientific development and future technologies simply because they change our lives and change makes us uncomfortable. Others of us misplace our hope in the science and technology. When I think of this, I think of examples like from the bioengineering or biohacking worlds or life extension technologies. Why do people chase these types of technologies, this type of science? Well, they want to improve health. They want to optimize performance in the workplace, and they want to control their biology. At its best, people use this type of technology to improve their lives. But at their worst, they're really trying to play God. Interestingly, the hope in new technologies is often driven out of a fear of death or a fear of not being in control. And neither of these 
are healthy, God-honoring motivations. There's a lot of places in the Bible we can look to discuss how Christians, people of faith, should respond to emerging technologies. I think about the story of the Tower of Babel or when the nation of Israel was being established and, and developing a kingdom and God told them not to rely on military technologies in their development, not to trust those. But I think the Christian approach to scientific development and new technologies is best summed up by Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6. Starting verse 19, this is what Jesus says. Do not lay up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, we as humans have a tendency to put all of our hope and trust into the material objects that we see around us. We want a bigger bank account, a nicer house, the newest stuff, but we also want to trust into the scientific development of our age to keep us safe, to make us comfortable, and to protect us from the world at large. But we're not supposed to put our trust and hope in those things, and Jesus warns us that where our treasure is, the things that we prize the most, our heart will chase after those things. So do not put your hope in scientific development and future technologies. Later in the same chapter, Jesus says this, starting in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you'll eat or what you'll drink about your body, what you'll put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. See, we tend to be concerned a great deal about extending our lives and protecting ourselves, maintaining our comfort and our status quo. And we have this keen ability as humans to fear things that we don't understand. But Jesus clearly tells us, do not be anxious. Don't be anxious about your life. Don't make decisions based out of fear. We are not the product of our technology. Later on in the chapter, this is what Jesus says. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. When, when I think about what it means for Christians to wrestle with issues of the future, of technology, of scientific development, I, I think it's really important that we learn, instead of buying into all the hope and hype or the fear and anxiety, that instead we decide that we're going to trust God that we're going to put our trust solely in God, and we're going to spend our energies and our times and our resources seeking after God's kingdom. 